What's up, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode here on RNFM Radio. You're tuning in to episode 165. Yes, that's right, 165. And of course, you've got questions, we've got answers, you've got opinions, and well, so do we. We'll, of course, be sharing those right here on The Pulse of Nursing. We're, of course, always honored to have you tuning in with us, and we promise you'll learn something while we keep it both fun and interesting. I'm Kevin Ross, your co-host here on RNFM Radio, and I'll be joined by my co-host, or your co-host as well, in just a moment. But another interesting tidbit about me, early in my childhood, I remember actually in my mother's closet, she had a bunch of nail polish in there, and I remember as a three-year-old taking all that nail polish and taking the liberty of expressing myself through art, and I painted the interior of that linen closet with all of her nail polish. My mother has since passed, so anyway, thanks mom for being so patient and understanding of my creative ways. Anyway, let's bring in Keith Carlson and Elizabeth Scala. Elizabeth, let's start with you. How are you doing and welcome to the show? I'm doing good, Kevin. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Welcome everyone listening. Hello to Nurse Keith out there. And it's lovely here in Maryland, so I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, it is great to have you. Well, we wouldn't not have you. I mean, we need you here. You're the co-host, so welcome, and it's Thank just great you. to have you here. I'm just like thinking about what you said about the nail polish, and I was like, oh gosh, what is it? Where is this story heading? And you know, I thought you were going to start talking about polishing your nails and everybody in the family and things like no, that. But. No, I never had a desire to do that. Although I think I went through a teenage uh, period where I probably wore some black nail polish or something like that. Uh, but that's for another story. I just figured, you know what? I'm sharing. We're transparent here. I just want to share some stuff. And yes, my mother, uh, although I think she was pretty upset, she just was like, okay, whatever. And she repainted the closet white or whatever at some point when we had to move out of that place. But anyway, she let me express myself and I did. Yeah. And it's a closet. I mean, what's the big deal? I think it would be cool to open up a closet and see all this beautiful artwork in there. I think that sounds like a fun project. That's what I thought. And I figured, why is this like closet so just pale and white and just so bland? Like it's got, we need color here. So anyway, thanks, Mom, for letting me do that. Anyway, Keith Carlson, come on in here to the show. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, sir. Hey, Kev. Hey, Elizabeth. And hello to everyone out there in RNFM Radio Land. Well, okay, true confessions. When I was about five or six, my friend Stanley and I, my next-door neighbor, my parents had just opened the pool. We had one of those above-ground pools that a lot of people had back in the 70s. And we thought it'd be really cool to take all this gravel and dirt that was around the pool and throw it in the pool. So Uh when my mom watched through the window, she saw the pool, you know, filled with dirt and gravel. I have this memory and she's passed too. So sorry, mom. I have this memory of my mom crying, weeping, cleaning out the pool for hours while I stood there sort of dumbfounded at what I'd done. So true confessions. We started it, Kev. (laughs) Last week was sandwiches. This week is childhood mishaps. And I know, Elizabeth, you didn't share one. So I bet you were so good. You never did anything like that. I know. I think I just have too many frightening stories. I don't want to scare off the listeners. <laughs> oh my God. No. It's just another well, way for us to all connect, right? Because somebody out there is like, I did the same thing. Yeah. So, you know. I ruined the pool one summer. <laughs> right. Right. So that's, that's well, the deal. Yeah. Well, we're not going to throw any dirt in the pool today, but we are going to talk about some stuff that's kind of out there on the internet around nursing, right? Well, we are. And you know what? We have to thank Elizabeth for bringing this to our attention again. Now, this came in actually my Twitter feed 
back in June when the the post actually was live on Cosmopolitan. And of course, for some of you out there who either read Cosmo, uh, the actual magazine itself, or at cosmopolitan.com, we'll of course have the exact link in the show notes. And of course, we also need to mention as well another member out there, a community member, hopefully she will be, Diane L. Foster. She is also an RN who actually had a rebuttal to this particular post. But anyway, let's get to the post and we will start just getting wider and deeper into the subject matter here. The title of the post on Cosmo is 14 Things I Wish I Knew Before I Became a Nurse. Now, some of you might already be like, oh yeah, I remember that post. And you probably do. It's gotten 325,000 shares since it posted on June 12th. Uh, and and of course, like I said, lots of engagement, lots of resharing out there. I saw it in my Twitter feed quite a bit. So anyway, let's kind of get into this whole thing about 14 things I wish I knew before I became a nurse, because this is not all what you would say is good stuff in a sense. And so let's like distill down what we're seeing here. And then let's offer up some solutions as Diane actually did the same thing. And we want to give her credit as well. So anyway, the biggest thing about becoming a nurse is Cosmo states. And of course, also, let me let me back up really quick. This post was written by someone named Allison. She is an RN, I think, Allison Linochi, or I think that's right. I, hopefully, I'm not botching your name. Anyway, she wrote the post, an RN at a hospital in Washington, D.C. So we have a little bit of, you know, we don't know exactly where uh, and, and where Allison is. But anyway, Allison, this is nothing against you. We just want to take this post and run with it and give our own opinions and thoughts here. So she starts off by saying, number one, your schedule sounds great on paper, but it's way more work than it looks like. Now, you'll also start getting a theme that, that Keith had mentioned too, is that a lot of this is around hospital nursing. And as we know, we'll get into it, that that's not the only place you can become a nurse. It's not? It's not. You know really? that. Right. Oh, right. That's right. You, you don't have to work in a hospital to be a nurse. And you don't God. have to actually be like Nurse Jackie and play one on TV. You can actually practice outside of the hospital setting. But we know hospitals have, as what we call, these wonderful three-day-a-week, 12-hour shifts. So you work for three days, three, you know, three 12-hour shifts, boom, you're done. You got the rest of the week to yourself. However, this writer, Allison, she goes on to say, but you have to factor in time about reporting to the patients, as we know, that to the oncoming nurse. And if you've got to like catch up on some documentation. And I do remember when I worked at Johns Hopkins, it wasn't a 12 hour shift. It ended up being something like 14 hours. And who knows, like your commute. I mean, is your commute like 30 minutes an hour to work or more? So you could be away from your home for as much as 16 hours in that time. So really, this is the and, and this is the deal, you know, the three days a week. And sometimes there's overtime. You get on call or you're called in. And it doesn't end up being three days or maybe not three days in a row. Right. So we could really take this in so many different directions. And I know, Keith, first, obviously, you don't have to work in hospitals, we said. You don't have to no, work 12 don't. hours. Yeah, the one thing about this Cosmo article, all, all respect to Allison Linochi, but it is extremely hospital-centric. And we've talked about this before in the show. I've never worked in a hospital, never going to, never wanted to. And... You don't have to work in a place where you have to work three 12-hour shifts. And our friend and person who we'd love to have on the show who wrote the rebuttal. Yes, Diane Foster. Freeman White. Yeah. yeah. She talks about the fact that you can have a rotating list of who's going to take call. And instead of this, you know, shotgun approach of just guilting staff into working shifts they don't want to work. And 
you actually, you have the choice too. I tell my clients this, you don't have to work at a place where they guilt trip you into working extra shifts and treat you in a way where you feel like you're just so much fodder for the canon of the unit. So, you know, there's a lot of choice here that we could talk about. And I bet Elizabeth might have something to say about number one. Sure. I agree with the points, um, you know, shared, but also an interesting concept. And, and Kevin, I'm not trying to knock you how you mentioned, you know, your 12 hour shift turned in sometimes to 14. But I also wonder if some time management strategies can be, you know, discussed in terms of being able to exit work at a decent hour. And maybe there is that day where, you know, maybe you had a code and then you had an admission and there's a lot of, you know, extra various circumstances that have you staying late. But that really shouldn't be the case every time. And if you are, is there someone on your unit that you can ask, you know, let's say you do see someone leaving every day on time after report as things should go. Ask them, like, how do you manage your day? Um, is there a way you organize your time? Um, can I do my shift report, you know, at the bedside to really get the questions answered that the oncoming nurses may have? So kind of being creative with your time management strategies too could can be a solution to how, you know, the schedule looks. But um, I hope that's helpful. I just also agree. I, I'm not sure about this whole, you know, 12 hour shift thing, but maybe that's a, a whole nother show in and of itself. Well, it is. And actually, Elizabeth, let me also be transparent and admit and, of course, first agree with that time management piece and also admit that although my unit at Hopkins was extremely collaborative and I can't say enough good things about my team that I worked with there that have all most of them, I think, have moved on to CRNAs and advanced practice nursing and and so on and so forth. But anyway, I do want to give them some credit that they were available to assist. However, I sometimes felt like sometimes I was in a zone and like, and I, and I probably was in the weeds several times and I admit maybe I didn't ask for help when I needed it. And so maybe that actually extended my shift a little bit because the nurses who were coming on after me were on time and they were ready to receive report. And sometimes I would go ahead and give them the rundown and, and do the report, but I'd also have to finish up on some documentation or do a few other things. And that might have extended my stay when ultimately I should have been able to give report, kind of have that transition and been able to leave at that point. Now, this didn't happen for every shift, but I do admit sometimes I just got in a zone and I was just doing things because I felt like, well, just quicker for me to do it. I'm already here anyway. I'm just going to do it. So there you go. Transparency. I didn't ask for help when I needed it all the time. That's a great solution to offer to the audience because I feel like, you know, we've discussed this prior shows and it's something to bring to the table again, feeling that we have to do it all ourselves. And and we obviously, we don't, we have people to ask help from. So I think it's just being clear with ourselves and then having that confidence that asking for help can be, you know, something that can be useful, but also something that can get us out of work on time. So that's well, awesome. Do right. let's, let's, well, let's ask ourselves, do we naturally want to help people? I mean, as far as like, you want to help your coworkers, right? I liked helping my coworkers yet. Why was I, why was it so hard for me to ask for help? Because it's very common among nurses to want to help other people, but to also, there's a little bit of a, uh, I want to say there's a nurse martyr archetype. That's I knew you'd have the answer. There. I knew you'd yeah, have it. It's definitely yeah. out there. And then there's the, what I like to call the, the Sisyphean archetype, which is, remember Sisyphus, 
the uh, the mythological character that would roll a boulder up a mountain yes. all day every day and then at the end of the day it would roll to the bottom and he would start again so i've written blog posts specifically about this sisyphean archetype of the nurse who in some ways and people people may throw things at me in some ways who are addicted to that right that level of right. giving and um there, there's an addiction that we get to it and it's sad but it's very true it happens to a lot of us well, and we talked about that. So for the folks out there, so Elizabeth and, and Keith and myself, we all, we have these like business meetings sometimes before, well, at least today before the show, but we talk about sort of our platform and, and we were discussing things that, and, and I think I've learned this over time, especially owning a business because eventually you, I mean, you get to a point, you can't do everything. You just can't. It's not sustainable, not only, not only for yourself, your own, you know, well-being, but just for, for your business. And I even think, even if you're at the bedside or you're out in the community as a home health nurse or public health or some, some other organization, I, I always say this, I consider everybody like a small business. Even if you're an employee of someone, you're still like this micro entrepreneur. So we were talking about things like tasks that we don't find, we find valuable, certainly valuable for the big picture, but we might not like them as much, or it could be a bit more cumbersome for us or harder for us to do. And so Asking for help in those situations, delegating certain functions is extremely important, not only for the success of your patient or whatever your end user is or whoever your end user is, but obviously for us as well. Because I knew if I'd gotten out of there a little bit sooner, that would have helped my self-care to get closer or get home sooner to my family. And that in itself, that whole overarching self-care piece I mean, these are just little bits of, you know, just little bits like of these little nuggets here that we're sharing today that you can, you know, get closer to finding a little bit more balance in your career. Right. Well, Elizabeth, what do you think of, is there a number, there are how many points in this article? 14. Is there one that really jumps out at you that you feel like you'd really like to uh, start us off on? I was just going to do that because I was going to kind of tag team off of Kevin's point about coping, you know, with being able to get home and sort of jumping around a bit. Number six talks about a sick sense of humor. And Hmm. I do see humor as a coping mechanism. I love to smile. You know, you all mention all the time. I'm smiling right now. You're smiling right now. Yeah, Yeah, you you can hear it it coming through. I love (laughs) to laugh and that sort of thing. But I'll share a little bit part about my upbringing because you guys did at the beginning of the show. I wasn't really allowed as a kid to watch much television. And I have a husband, on the other hand, who watched pretty much anything and everything, you know, that was on the TV, Uh, probably unsupervised, let's say. So, you know, I I don't like those. I don't for me personally, I don't find humor in those types of things that are gross or offensive or sick. Like I don't really watch many comedians these days because of that, or I don't watch the cartoons on television because of that. And I think, and even in Diane Foster's sort of post that is speaking back to the Cosmo post, it says humor is a good coping skill. It's a good mechanism, but there's really no, there's nothing funny about laughing at someone's pain or or what they're going through and sort of I just kind of, for me personally, I don't take that to be funny. So I think that that one um, in and of itself, you know, about developing a sick sense of humor, I I don't see that as as me as a nurse. And maybe nurses out there will laugh at the gross things that happen and think and find it 
comical, but we have to be mindful of what we're really laughing at when we do that. Just, what do you guys think about that? Well, I think there is a place, I think, for what some people will refer to as gallows humor. And many of us who grew up back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, grew up on MASH with Alan Alda. And there was a lot of gallows humor on MASH. And that informed my own sense of humor growing up as a kid. However, there's this, there's this way that certain nurses online especially can mm, use humor and snarkiness in a way that I think doesn't paint a very good picture of nurses. And while gallows humor or dark humor, as it's sometimes referred to, can be helpful, we do have to be really careful. And like you, Elizabeth, I actually don't really like stand-up comics usually because there's too many expletives, there's too much reliance on kind of gross stuff to get people to laugh. That's why I like one particular comedian, Brian Regan, who actually doesn't use a single expletive ever in any of his stand-up routines. And I really appreciate his humor, which talks about the absurdity of life and the absurd situations that he observes or he's involved in and the things that he listens to, hears, or sees but he doesn't grow for that gross factor or that kind of expletive-laden kind of snarkiness that seems so prevalent in the culture sometimes. I might sound very old and kind of prudish, but I see that in nursing as well where we can get a little carried away sometimes. And I have been on hospital units or hospital floors where the nurses or the staff are joking around sometimes within earshot of patients and families, and that's where I really cringe when that sort of stuff is happening. So I agree, people need to blow off steam. It's totally appropriate and fine. But we have to be definitely careful and circumspect about how we use it. Oh, of course, I agree. And it's okay if maybe you're not a Chris Rock fan or anything like that. You know, I mean, like I said, it's, I, you're, you're, I think that's totally fine. You're not a prude. Um, I mean, you, oh, just, you, you, you just like what you like, and, that, and that's totally fine. But no, I... I you know, what was it last week? I guess our show, we talked a little bit about the money. And so item 10 talks about the being, you know, feeling underpaid. So you'll feel underpaid, but nursing is one career that does offer extra opportunities for more money. And then it goes on to say, you should be paid. Uh, we should be paid more money for our base work as we monitor our patients more closely, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of control over your base salary. However, we did talk about that there. You do have control over base salary based on negotiations. And I realize that a lot of employers have this quote unquote ladder, but everything is negotiable. And so going into a little bit deeper into it, it, it goes into say like picking up extra shifts, you know, working the night shift and whatever, but yeah. So, okay. You're working overtime. So to add more money for, for what reason, first off, is it that you, that you actually need that money to, you know, feed your family or to pay your bills or whatever. Um, Again, we, we've talked about ways to streamline your expenses so that whatever your base salary is, and I, and I do agree to an extent that I feel that nurses should be paid, should be valued and not looked as a liability within the organization, but that we do offer all, you know, we bring this value to the table and that we should be compensated as such. But again, we talked about some other things. And, and first off, I've heard nurses say like, I worked all this overtime and I got taxed so heavily that I ended up, you know, making four bucks an hour after all the taxes were taking out. That wasn't even worth it. You know, so forget this whole overtime thing. 
But there are also ways that you can pay yourself, and that is time with your family and work-life balance. Find a place that is a culture fit for you. Find a place that offers more opportunities for for work-life balance. Again, is it the dollar amount that we're most concerned about, or is it like, you know, the dollar amount, like our internal, you know, dollar amount that, that says, like, I feel rich because I get to come home and see my kids before they go to bed, or... I get to come home and have dinner with them or I get to see their baseball games or I get to go on these trips with my friends when they go camping on the weekends because I don't work weekends. I feel richer because of those things. Now, of course, I know we could really expand on this. Yes, we could definitely expand on that. And I think there is choice. And sometimes we do feel a little bit stuck in our nursing positions or in the trajectory of our career. And we also get a little tunnel vision, I guess. We get stuck in this, oh, here I am in this ICU. There's no other job for me. I've only done ICU. There's nothing else I can do. There's, this is where I'm at. This is the track I'm on. I'm pigeonholed in my career. I'm paid really poorly and there's nothing I can do about it. And a lot of the career coaching clients who come to me through my career coaching practice We have to talk about these things. We have to talk about the control that we can really attempt to take in our careers. And like the control I took from the beginning saying, I'm not going to work in med surge. I'm not going to work in the hospital. I want to work in ambulatory care and damn the torpedoes, I'm going to do it. And sure, some people felt it was professional suicide, but I went for it and I've created a particular type of career that works for me. And it's that notion that we're trapped, I think, that happens to a lot of nurses. And I think that's sad because the opportunities are pretty much boundless right now. And I try to encourage nurses, and we do too here on the show, to think outside the box, color outside the lines, or just refuse to see the box or the lines in the first place. Yeah. Well, and there are plenty of organizations out there, if you still want to be an employee, who do find value in you as a nurse, and maybe your salary could be higher. If, it, if again, money is important to your particular situation as it is for many of us because of our responsibilities that we have. And so it doesn't, again, mean that you have to, as you said, be stuck in that, I mean, stuck. You, you're just not stuck. You have choice. And I think as a nurse, you have more choice than you think you do. You just have to look beyond, you know, your backyard, basically. I just think it, it, all comes down to so i'm gonna shift to another one if that's okay yeah no by all means because we talked a lot about the money piece last week yeah i want to talk about number eight your body will hurt oh that's a good one oh dear me yes yeah i mean you know i i feel great and and my body never hurt when i was an impatient nurse you know maybe (laughs) people's bodies do but i just think it for me in this one it the whole block of a text after your body will hurt is focusing on things that, again, you were just mentioning choice, uh, Keith. And, you know, the one sentence that says holding your bladder, I, I'm, I, I get so upset when I see these posts circulating on social media. I mean, it literally makes me mad, which I'm sorry for the audience if you're sharing those posts, but I, I really don't enjoy that because if you can't even find the time to go to the bathroom, something is wrong. You know, with the unit, again, back to being able to be responsible enough to say, excuse me for five minutes. I mean, it takes you two seconds. I don't know how long people go to the bathroom for. So 
your body will hurt just really sounds like we are getting beat up in this like war against nurses. I feel like if you take care of your physical health, if you're eating properly, like bringing snacks throughout the day that are high in protein and, and bring vegetables and, you know, go for a walk if you get off the unit. And, and I don't, I just don't understand. And the other thing about lifting people, I mean, these days we have lots of apparatuses. I know in my organization, they purposefully put purposefully put things in every single room in the new building again asking for help from your team it just number eight your body will hurt makes us sound like we are weak victims who can't stand up and and take care of ourselves amen sorry no no i could hear i could hear you kind of seething a little bit i could hear the smile kind of turning to like this like seething smile like seriously people you're right it is that sort of oppression that we can choose not to be a part of. Cause I almost see like holding your bladder. Like, what are you, a kid in school and you gotta raise your hand like to go to the bathroom? I mean, even my kids can like, they don't even ask, they just go. I mean, seriously, be responsible for yourself. Like take care of you, you know? Well, and I, yeah. I, I mean, again, I think it, it could be the oppression of the unit or, or, or that mentality of people around you. Like you need that permission to take care of you. I don't know. Go ahead, Keith. It sounded like you had something that you wanted to build on. Yes. I just want to say that, again, I think sometimes there is, there's the culture. There's a culture of, oh, I can't go to the bathroom because no one else is going. Everyone else is holding their bladder, so I have to do it too. And if I choose to ask one of the nurses on the unit and say, hey, can you cover for me for five minutes? I'm going to go pee that person is then going to castigate me or I'm going to be on the outs with the entire unit because I'm taking care of myself and no one else is. So when we get stuck in a culture that's negative or otherwise deleterious to us in some way, if we try to step out of that culture and go against the grain or swim against the current, so to speak, it can actually come back to haunt us. And I'm not saying this is an excuse to not go to the bathroom or have a snack or take a break. But some nurses, especially newer nurses, they feel like they want to make friends. They want to be popular. They want to be part of the crowd. And if all the other nurses are towing this particular martyrish type of line, then stepping out of that can feel like, oh boy, I'm really putting myself in jeopardy here. Can I ask a question that may just sound completely crazy? <laughs> If sure everybody, if everybody is doing this, how, are we all wetting our pants at work? I don't understand how you can work for twelve hours at a place for that whole time and and be doing this type of thing. I, to me, I just can't understand it physiologically. So well. <laughs> what I'm wondering is, are people actually going? But then we're you know kind of saying, oh, I I'm not you embellishing know, a little bit either. Exactly. Yeah, a little I bit think of so. Embellishing. It has I do to. think so. It, it it just has to. Yeah, I think it's a little <laughs> bit of um, bravado or maybe just there's some poetic license going on here. I mean, come on, I'm 50 years old, almost 51 in a couple of weeks. And if I was working at a hospital unit, I'd be peeing about every 90 minutes. I'm serious. So there's no <laughs> way I could hold it. So, you know. They could tell me to, you know, do whatever I need to do to, to not go, but it's never going to happen. So, <laughs> you know, 
I can't be the only one out there too, especially of the ones who are working on med surge units or ICUs. So yeah, there's bravado. There's, it's this cultural thing and we have to look at the bigger cultural issues. And one of the issues she also brings up here is, let me see in the Cosmo article was, oh, number 13, eat breakfast on your commute because it may be the only meal you get to eat all day. This is another cultural issue. Now, of course, you might work on a unit where the manager isn't supportive of people taking breaks. But again, if you're working in a place that won't let you pee and won't let you eat and won't let you drink, do you need to keep working there? That's a question I need to ask. Right. No, exactly. I mean, because, and yeah, I I just, uh, I mean, just kind of like Elizabeth and not to ask the question, but is the unit or that particular setting that warped to say like, sorry, we don't have time for you to eat. I mean, I realize that management, because I, the the companies that we contract with sometimes, like, you know, I'm talking to management and they're just trying to fill some shifts. And these aren't nurses. These are, it's a, it's a different kind of um, position, more of, you know, caregivers and companions and stuff. And and I see that they're stressed out just trying to fill the holes. Like, they, look, they have this, like, matrix of a spreadsheet trying to just fill these gaps and stuff. And so, like, maybe they're just sort of short-sighted, like, I just got to get bodies in here. I just got to get people to fill that spot. But yeah, like the bigger picture is like, you know what? If we invested in breaks and people eating well and bringing in nutritious snacks and meals instead of like those cakes and cookies to like celebrate for something. But some, I'm not saying you got to eat like tofu and granola and stuff, but I'm just. Yes, you are. Well, th- other things other than, you know, all the junk that people do bring in. Oh man, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. You know, but well, I'm just saying, like, why can't we do that? Because if you invest in these people and bring in healthier snacks, then maybe they're not going to be calling out as much or feel sick or have gastroenteritis because of all those cookies or donuts they ate. Yeah, I was going to say, and then to back to number eight's point, your body won't hurt because, yeah. yeah. So if we're actually able to use the restroom, eat a meal, and do these things then physically our bodies won't hurt. So it's sort of like a vicious cycle where, as Keith mentioned, if you're not getting this support in your organization, is it time for you to, you know, look around for something else? That's what I would do. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right. And what I love about Diane Foster, who wrote the article, the rebuttal over at freemanwhite.com. And folks, by the way, both of these articles will be very well linked in the show notes. So you can find them there, of course. She goes item by item and really refutes pretty much everything, but she doesn't just refute it. What she does is she actually offers a solution. And that's what I love about this article at freemanwhite.com. It offers solutions and ideas. It doesn't just, it's obviously not colluding with the Cosmo article, but it's actually offering pretty clear-eyed views of how you can look at these issues and pretty much turn them on their head from how they were originally purported in the Cosmo piece. Yeah. Well, in, in the example, this is great. And I remember doing this myself, especially in ICU when you've got like uh, pumps on the right of the patient and pumps on the left side of the patient and all these vasopressors going and all these bags, like you could have all these channels going like four channels on each pump and then another pump. And I mean, to, to my point and what she was trying to say is like, listen, if you have somebody just set it up, like, Hey, you're my buddy today. I'll cover your patients while you cover my patients kind of thing. So like, cause I want to set up a time to go to grab a snack or, you know, some lunch or whatever. And so make sure that all your pumps, so you're in the hospital setting that 
they're not going to start beeping and that your patient is has recently been cleaned up or whatever that is so that this individual not to say that they shouldn't be getting their hands dirty if they you know i mean because push comes to shove you got to but set them up for success so that if they're taking care of their patients but also watching yours that they're not always running into your room because all your bags all the fluids are starting to empty out right you know right. i mean that's not fair you know, because they're trying to focus on their patients too, especially in the acute setting like that, like when it's highly acute. So. Yeah. And Elizabeth, let me ask you a question. Um, over on Diane Foster's article, she responded to the issue of, oh, number 11, you'll miss out on a lot of your social and family life. Be prepared to miss holidays and weekend events. Now, You've often said on the show, and I love this about you, that you're not really a nursey nurse and you've worked mostly in psych. So, and I've worked in the outpatient realm and most of my career, I've had jobs that were eight to four or nine to five actually. So what do you think of this whole notion of that? You're never going to see your family. You're never going to go to parties and your weekends are going to be shot for the rest of your life. You must have read my mind. That was the one I wanted to go to next. I knew <laughs> it. Ooh, you guys are on some sort of symbiosis, like we crystal ball kind of like, yeah, I'll tell you what, man, you two are freaking me out. Well, for real. He knew that I had to have a social life <laughs> and I put this in all my writing. I did. I went on and continued to have a social life. I even wrote about that in my first book, my first, bleh, my words, my, I'm, my brain is going so fast. I can't keep she up. She stroked out again. See, it's, it's yeah. flipped. <laughs> my it first, happens. We have the nursing from within book. I, I start out one of the chapters with a vignette that says, well, you know, I am hungover because let's be honest, I went out this weekend. So anywho, that's a little TMI, but I don't think that as a nurse, you have to compromise your social life. That is insanity to me. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, there are careers. There are other people, unless you're a teacher and you follow a school schedule, there are other people that have to work on holidays. So what if you can't go to every event? Sometimes I think it's a great excuse because I don't want to go to that communion party. I I, I got to yeah. work. Oh, Sorry, great. I'm going to miss the bar mitzvah, but got to right. work. Exactly. Enjoy so the band. The neat thing though, Keith, to answer your question is on my unit, we had nurses who, so it was really interesting around um, the main holidays of the winter. We had to work either Christmas or New Year's and pretty much you got to pick. So if there was a, a nurse who was more family oriented and really wanted to be there with the tree on Christmas day, you know, have at it. I'll work. Can you cover so I can go out and party my face off on New Year's? So, you know, get creative, work with your people that you are employed, you know, together with kind of make things happen amongst each other. And or, as we've been talking about all show, maybe find a job where you don't have to work holidays and weekends like like the three of us do now. So there is a lot of creativity. There's a lot of options. And, and why do we have to be around for every single major happening? People miss things in other professions as well. You know, sure. talking mean, about this before the show, I remember Kevin, Kevin was bringing up things like lawyers and accountants and bankers. People are working long hours in any job. So why single nursing out saying that we're going to we're not going to have a social life? That's true. I mean, there's doctors and surgeons who round on the weekends. There are plumbers who do emergency calls on the weekends. There's people. My husband takes call as an HVAC guy. He has to do call twice a month. And okay, well, those weekends he's here and he's by the phone. That's that. Right. And then you have people who work in retail or pump gas or whatever it is that they do or they work on weekends or holidays. So sure, a lot of nurses do work in the hospital on holidays and weekends and nights. And that's 
partially that's their choice. That's where they've chosen to work. And like I said, I started in a community health center. My first job at a nursing school, my hours were nine to five, Monday to Friday. And we didn't have call on the weekends because there was no call. It was a clinic. And I chose to work in that kind of venue. When I became a visiting nurse and a hospice nurse, yes, I definitely took call because that was part of the job. And I chose to do that for quite a few years. And I still take call for my nursing job now in home health. And that's also a choice. However, there are plenty of ways in which we can create or manifest a nursing career that works for us in our lifestyle. If we have little kids and we don't want to work nights, then we find a job where we don't work nights. I know that's hard for some of you. I know some of you new grads feel like a night shift is the only thing you can find. And maybe that's true, but we also have to try to see the bigger picture and see what the other options are before we feel like we have to take that position that doesn't really work for us. Right. But I think too, if I could say really quickly, no, you know, ahead. in Diane's post, she gives really great examples. There's parish nursing, um, forensic nursing. So the article on Cosmo, as we've mentioned, heavily focused on the hospital nurse, but there's other options. And what it boils down to for me, really, as I'm listening to you too, as I'm going back with this article, as I'm really reflecting in this present moment, nursing is a profession. We are professionals. And sure, there are places that you have to punch in and punch out that I understand that that happens. But it's part of a profession to have to do sometimes above and beyond. Like think about if you're on a committee or you're working on a research project, you're going to have to read an article, a publication and know what's going on in the literature. You may not get paid for that, but we're a profession. We're, we really have to, you know, rise above and, and feel like the, the professionals we are for lack of a better term. So I have done work-related things at home, and, and I wanted to because I feel proud to be in this profession. Right. And, and the thing is, is like going back to the whole choice, and I know that I talked about on one of my innovative nurse shows, I think it was episode 23 about theming my days. Now, as a business owner, that's what I do. Every, so even if I'm working 14 to 16 hours a day, and of course, some of you are actually trying to like do the math now, like, okay, when does he eat, sleep, and take care of himself? So again, it's all, it's all scheduled. Every minute of every day, except for weekends, are scheduled. I mean, literally every minute, there's nothing that is wasted. And I just, I try to squeeze the juice out of every single day so that when it comes time to be really be with my family in the evenings, because I do, I will pause. I will hit pause on my calendar. Nobody's allowed to reach out to me or do any of that stuff. And it is on my calendar that most of my teams have access to. They don't call me. They don't text me. They don't email me. They don't nothing because that's my time with them. And I choose that. I chose a path, even though I've got to hustle, I got to grind it out. I chose a path so that I can do that. And the same thing on the weekends. If you're going to shoot me an email on the weekends, sorry, you're probably not going to get a response. Um, not to say that I don't work some weekends because I got some hustle going on, some big contracts or whatever that is. But I choose, even though I've got the hustle, to fit something in that where I do have my social life and I do get my drink on or whatever it is that I need to do and, and get away. So, you get your drink on. Okay, whatever. That's, that'll be another topic for Yeah, next well, week. you know, Elizabeth was talking about sort of like the <laughs> kind of the hangover. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's I, No, we get it. We get but, it. But, You're going to have some fun. You know, I, I was kind of inspired by this, and, and, and I'll tell you the reason. So number 12 about your coworkers will tr truly feel like your family. So you'll, get, you'll grow closer to the people you work with faster than any other friend or significant other you've met. 
You'll love them. You'll hate them just like real family. You celebrate holidays with them and so on and so forth. But I mean, I see this happening in every like organization. I know that my wife, who is not a nurse or in any clinical setting or medical anything, she's very close to some of her coworkers. And I know that in my companies outside of the medical space, outside of healthcare, we are also very close with each other because again, we do kind of understand what's going on. We understand the same stressors. We're, we're kind of having some similar struggles and it really rings true that if something happens to someone, whether it's to them directly or their family, it truly rips through us as a team because we feel that pain that they're going through. Not because like, oh my gosh, so-and-so is not going to be here for the next week because unfortunately they lost a loved one or whatever that is, but it really just rings true. Like, why are we doing all of this? You know, it's like, for what? You know, it like really kind of brings things back of like, okay, I'm here to provide for my family or I'm here to provide or do whatever, or fill in the blank. It just kind of brings you back to like, okay, you know, this isn't just a job and, and, you know, I am trying to, to, to support my family just like everybody else is. And we're all just hoping everybody's happy and healthy and safe. And, and when somebody's not happy and healthy and safe with somebody else, you know, either their family member or them on the team, it, we feel it. You don't have to be a nurse or in nursing to feel like that's a second family to you. In every job I've ever had, I've really gotten close with some of the people that I've worked with. Right. And you know, that actually points to number 14, which is make sure this is really what you want to do. And there's a couple statements in the Cosmo article that are disturbing to me because they're so, they're so concrete. They're, they don't allow much wiggle room. So one is, this is a very thankless, underappreciated job. That's a statement in there. And then the other one is, um, let me see, you do this every day for yourself or alone, so your heart has to be in it. You will have the biggest love-hate relationship with your career. So those two statements are really hard for me to, to internalize because I don't feel like it's a thankless, underappreciated job at all. And if I did, I don't think I would still be a nurse. What do you think, Elizabeth? Oh, gosh, again, that was the <laughs> sentence that was like screaming at me off the page. And honestly, it's because I recently have I have a family member who has a family member in the hospital and not to try to share all this TMI today, but I have been able to go visit and I have seen the my the family member of mine thanking the nurse to death, you know, in saying, wow, I love that night telling me this. And then when the nurse comes in and talks to her during the day, but she's telling me, I love that night shift nurse. Oh my God, she's so awesome. Oh, she's doing the best for my baby. This is great. Like completely thanking them. So I, I don't, I don't feel that way myself. I mean, I get emails from people. Thank you for that article. Thank you for that, you know, saying that the way you did. So maybe people just aren't hearing it or they're choosing not to, but I, I hear thank you a lot. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that feedback. It makes me feel joyful and know that I'm out there helping other people. It's, it's a wonderful feeling and I feel highly appreciated. I love that. <laughs> do you think it's, um, do you think maybe some of this good, this good stuff that's happening and these thank yous is being muffled by the rest of the noise that's going on? Like maybe a I don't lot of know, the negative stuff? Maybe, but to be honest, so again, from this personal experience, watching this family member thank these nurses, I mean, their faces are glowing as they're leaving the room. So maybe they're having 
a really good day and they're getting it that day and another day they're not hearing it or maybe this unit is particularly well staffed and functioning very highly. I don't know. But they are literally when she says these things to them, glowing with the smile. Oh, you're welcome. You're, you're, you know, your baby's so cute. We love working with you. They leave. They look all they're thrilled. So I, I don't know. I feel well, it's a very generic statement. No, but as it. human beings, we are impressionable, right? I mean, this Cosmo piece, it impressed us in a way that we said, oh, we've got to react to this. We've got to do what Diane, you know, did and in, in, in talk about these, you know, this rebuttal. Like, what are our answers? What are, what are our opinions about this? So if you say, well, to a new nurse, uh, e even if they're not a new graduate nurse, but like they're like new to the organization, like, well, Yep, nurses eat their young here. Um, we don't respect this and uh, get used to not taking a break and so on and so forth. Like just this whole, so like then you start like, you're already hardwiring these things, this like mentality into somebody. And then Certainly. they're not even open to the fact like, hey, I really, you are, like you said, oh my gosh, you went above and beyond for my father today. Thank you so much. Uh, maybe again, we, we just become numb to that because the noise is drowning it all out and what we apparently have become hardwired to experience because that's what the media is telling us that's apparently what other nurses are saying that's what they're sharing so we figured like eh, there's not really much good there's not much good in this so i must right. i really gotta like what i do right so so well said and you know these these statements of this is a very thankless underappreciated job there's definitely something here culturally that we have to look at and what are nurses internalizing? What are we telling the new nurses? What are we, what kind of stuff are we putting in their head as soon as they walk on the floor? Because sure, you can have times where you feel unappreciated or underappreciated or a patient yells at you or, you know, the patient asks you to come in every five minutes to change the channel on their TV when you have a patient down the hall who's dying, for instance, you know, these things that seem less than important. But most nurses I talk to feel so grateful for the opportunity to serve. And I just think making these kind of black and white blanket statements really, I mean, if people are reading this article in Cosmo who maybe were thinking about going into nursing, if they're going to read this article, which by the way was shared 325,000 times, that doesn't say a lot about our profession, does it? What, that it wasn't? No, I'm sure yeah. it scares people off. And it also presents this picture for the patient. So people reading Cosmo also may not even have a desire to go into nursing or, or want to be a nurse or are a nurse, but they may be reading as, as from the patient perspective and thinking, goodness, these are the people taking care of me? Right. I, I would be a little concerned if, 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 you know, I read that my nurse doesn't love her job. I'd be like, oh boy, uh, is she going to, he or she going to do the right thing for me today? <laughs> you know? Right. Is she going to ignore me? Is she going to, you know, <laughs> is she going to make sure that I'm as miserable as possible because she's miserable? So yes, it does have a certain effect on our standing out there in the world. And if you read the book by Suzanne Gordon and, and uh, Bernice Beresh, uh, From Silence to Voice, it's all about what nurses need to tell the media because the media paints a certain negative picture or narrow-minded picture of nursing and nurses. So here we have a nurse writing on Cosmo who is actually, in a way, reinforcing a lot of those negative stereotypes about nursing. And Cosmo chose, of course, to put a picture of Nurse Jackie, as much as I love Nurse Jackie, but 
this picture instead of a real nurse, putting a fictitious nurse. So it's playing into many of the fictions about nursing that are still circulating. Right, right. It is, it is. And, you know, it was interesting, um, item two, I didn't think I was going to go there, but it reminded me. So yesterday um, I, I was taking a lot of Ubers and Lyfts. And if people don't know what Uber or Lyft is, it's a, you can use these mobile apps on your phone. And rather than calling for a cab, the, it's it's an app you can find a Lyft driver. So these are people who want to make some extra money and they use their private cars to shuttle you around, especially like when you're traveling. And so I was actually talking to this guy, really, really interesting, totally just like fell in love with him as a person, just an individual. Like we totally connected and didn't shut up until like I got to my ne- my destination. Um, and we were just talking about how, you know, I, I guess I'm an older gentleman. I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer and so is he. And we were talking about how in our positions sometimes like we have to be so many things like the Swiss army knife in our organizations or whatever it is that we're doing. And it talks about being a nurse, not only being medical care, but then it goes into saying being a patient advocate, a waitress, a housekeeper, an electrician, technology expert, so on and so forth. And again, I think that that can also be cross platform. There are many times where I'm not on site to be a nurse. However, I'm there doing something completely different. And people do ask me, uh, opinions or questions or need answers for things that, you know, if, if I had a job description, didn't fit within that job description. I mean, I don't see that as a way to be demeaning, except for when you say like maybe waitress and housekeeper, because I know nurses say like, listen, and Keith, I know you've mentioned sort of that handmaiden of doctors. Yes. You know, but but ultimately we are the Jack and Jane or Jill's of all trades sometimes. And I, I think again, in any profession, I remember an HVAC guy. So to take an example from, you know, with Elizabeth's husband here, when my mom was in um, hospice in our home, I was upstairs or something and, and the HVAC gentleman, he was working on something downstairs and she was downstairs. And I remember uh, he told me like when I went back downstairs that my mom needed her, her pillows where she was uncomfortable or something. And so he helped her fluff her pillows and got her something to drink because the HVAC room was next to her room. And so he was like, you know, that's just kind of what I do. He's like, it didn't bother me at all. I get into people's homes and I, I learn about their personal stuff and people need a shoulder to cry on sometimes. I'm fixing somebody's, you know, system and they just unload on you. And so I'm almost like a, you know, a therapist sometimes or, you know, get somebody a drink or whatever that is. I mean, you know, the guy was just kind of going on and I don't know why number two spoke to me that way. I'm just saying like pivot, keep your head on a swivel, be open to the fact that, yeah, you're not above anything. And sometimes it's just an all hands on deck situation in any organization where you got to roll up your sleeves and just get some things done, no matter what your license says or what your job title says. Again, it's about being a professional. I mean, if you're truly there to help someone and you really want to give that care that you went into nursing for, are you going to, you know, say no if someone asked you to do something that you, you know, perceive as, you know, non nursing skill set? we just, we're in it for the right reasons. And we have that heart to help the patient out. You know, we're going to be professionals and go above and beyond. I love that example, by the way. I was like, oh, pretty cool. Well, it just, it popped in my head. You mentioned, you know, Drew and everything. And then I was like, oh yeah, right. I want to share that story. So there you go. Right. And I want to share, that's a great story, Kevin. And at the very end of of Donna, Diane Foster's article under number 14. Can I read what she wrote? Yeah, of course. Yeah, underneath number 14, where 
Manochi over on Cosmo said, you'll have the biggest love-hate relationship with your career. Ms. Foster says, remember the good days, hold the best memories. Those are what keep you coming back. Being part of an effective team is very rewarding. Finding a clinical area of interest and pursuing it with a passion to become an expert in your area is incredibly motivating. And there are so many pros to being a nurse. There's no other profession where you'll have as big an impact on someone's life as you do in nursing. You get to wear scrubs with elastic waistbands and tennis shoes. You're a superhero to patients and families and physicians. No two days are alike. You're not in a boring job. You'll develop a bulletproof immune system. And if you do get sick, you're surrounded by people who can help you. It's a serious job, yes, and often a hard job, but the rewards are many and attitude is everything. Let's spread the positive attributes of the nursing profession just as widely as the 14 things. So I love that she said attitude is everything. I think that is such an important point to drive home when we look at these two articles side by side. Yes, I agree. And and going back to, because we've mentioned the Gallup, you know, the survey, as far as the public trust is concerned, numerous times on RNFM. So something is going on out there where our end user, I mean, I don't want to demean patients, but you know, I, I just mean our clients, the person who's receiving those services apparently values us. And you know, that goes, that customer service can go above and beyond when, you know, I, I do get a little frustrated sometimes when nurses um, say like, well, I don't know. I would rather, I, I always tell my teams like, listen, if you don't know the answer, just let them know. Like, I don't know right now, but let me find out for you because you know what? I want to know the answer because you want to know the answer. Um, and, and just so pivot. So your attitude, instead of saying like, I don't know, or I'm unsure, take that attitude and say, you know what? I want to know, like I said, for you and for me. So let me figure that out. Let me find out for you. And the attitude of just going in to say, like, I'm going to have a killer day. I'm going to have a rock star day. I'm going to rock people's faces off all day long because I am that cool. I am that much of a nurse rock star. And I'm going to do it day in and day out. And that's like my attitude. Maybe that's like my closing thought is like, that's my attitude every day is I want to rock people's faces off all day long <laughs> in a way that it doesn't hurt them. But it's all it's all good. Melting faces, like Chris Rock says in School of Rock, you're yes. melting faces. Yes, it, indeed, indeed. So I, I figure like if, if I had a closing thought, that's, that's what my closing thought today is that I'm going to continue to do that. That's my attitude. I'll share a closing thought too. You know, Keith, first of all, I don't know if it was your beautiful rendition of the last paragraph or just the words themselves. I felt myself a little choked up and the reason being, you know, I've said many times I didn't think I wanted to be a nurse and here I am. But the unique thing is I'm a nurse in the way that I want to be one. And it's such an honor to be part of this profession and have colleagues like yourselves and the listeners out there and, and the people writing these articles. I mean, what a what a beautiful honor, what a gift, you know? So I'm like, I never wanted to be a nurse, but I have no idea what I'd be doing instead. So that's my final thought. And yes, before I start sobbing on the air. Yeah. Ooh, she's <laughs> get, I could tell she's got a little bit of that. She's a little that wavering up, there. That's okay. But she's still got a smile. Don't worry. She's, yeah. yeah, there you go. And, and my final thoughts are several. One is that we have to take responsibility for our own careers. And if we're working in a place where our needs aren't honored, our self-care is not honored, and everyone on your unit has bought into that culture of non-self-care and sacrifice and Sisyphean suffering. And, you know, this is a Herculean thing and there's, you know, there's nothing you can do and you have to shoulder this burden. 
you can get out of there and you can work to get out of there. We might feel trapped and stuck, but we're never really trapped and stuck. We have to see there's another way. And when you feel there's only two ways, like I either stay in this job or I quit this job and have no job, there's always a third way. There's always another avenue. So I want people to remember that and take in that notion that Diane Foster said that attitude is everything, just like Kevin said. He says, I want to rock people's faces off all day. And it's attitude. And if you're attitude is being impacted by the people around you, by the negativity around you, you have to change something. Something's got to give because it's not good for you. So that's one of my final thoughts. And I just also want to say that when we talk on a podcast or one of us nurses writes an article or a blog post, we're representing the profession and we're adding to the body of literature, whether negative or positive, about the profession. And it's fine to complain. It's fine to put out the put out the stuff that you're worried about or concerned about or kind of pissed off about. But the thing is that we have to take responsibility. We have to remember that we're responsible to the profession as well. And we have to be very circumspect about what we tell the public. Right. I mean, we have to be brand ambassadors for this profession and hopefully in a good way. So, I mean, again, there's been a lot that we shared today. And I just want to say, first off, thanks to Allison Lenochi, who, of course, wrote this piece for Cosmopolitan. So both Allison and Cosmo, thank you again for at least putting something in, in the way that we are influenced to talk about it today. And of course, Diane, that's awesome that you created or wrote this rebuttal. So of course, Diane Foster over at Freeman White, we will have all of that, as Keith said, in the show notes. So we want to thank them today for that inspiration. We're always inspired by all of you. And that being said, continue to follow us, or if you don't, follow us at RNFM Radio pretty much everywhere on so, every social media platform. Of course, you can follow Elizabeth Scala at Elizabeth Scala. And of course, Keith Carlson at Nurse Keith and myself at Innovative Nurse. Just find us on RNFM Radio at rnfmradio.com to find out more. iTunes ratings and reviews would be so excellent for all of those who are who are and aren't listening on iTunes, but those ratings and reviews are really helpful. As always, don't give up. Seek out those opportunities, invest in those ideas, and remember that failure is merely an opportunity to learn. Let us know what's working or not, as we'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio. Thank you.